0: Welcome to Anecdotal Anatomy, the podcast that curiously explores the stories the body holds and tells through conversations, stories, and practices. Our mission is to connect the individual to the collective through our stories, so we may better understand our interdependence and ultimately live a more peaceful coexistence. Is that too much to ask for? Each episode builds from the last and contains kernels of every conversation we've had to date. We cover sciencey things like fascia,
1: anatomy, the nervous system, and other body-based sciences. We also have a pretty high tolerance for the woo factor, which, let's face it, is also energy and should not be discarded as if it has no value. We are nature-loving, yoga and meditation teaching podcasters that could aiming to make the world just a little better than we found it. Our motto is, leave no trash trace, we're only visiting, but leave your heart print with every step. So I I need to say this before we start, because we started the season, you know, really formally addressing the yoga limbs. We have not abandoned that. And I was thinking about it this morning, you know, Teresa and I, we're not going to give it away, but we have a field trip planned that we want to do before we continue the formal talking conversation about the yoga limbs, which gives us this incredible space to explore yoga naturally. Naturally yoga, yoga naturally. We're still trying to figure out which do you like better, naturally yoga or yoga naturally? Because there's more coming on that. But this is for those people who may... Be a little bit like "Mm, yoga as a system, as a practice, really not for me. But these conversations go beyond the formal practice of yoga while still incorporating the essential pieces, the pieces that get to nourish our essential bits. And so you may be surprised by the fact that you're already practicing yoga because we throw labels and we throw definitions on things and then we either respond positively or negatively or neutrally to it, but we never actually get to the essence of the thing itself because the definition has already made a decision for us, you know, depending on which energy or lens through which we are, we are seeing this definition. So I'm really excited about this conversation because, you know, the alchemy always happens. And I had this very strong feeling before we came on, and then I'll shut up for a few seconds, <laughs> that, you know, we both a- approached the agreed upon theme from very different places. And so this is an opportunity in a more sort of, not random, what's the word? Uh, When you're just sort of in the moment, uh, kind of. uh, Yeah, I know what word you're coming up. Oh, man. Being in your 50s and 60s, it's like that the words are are right there. They're right there. Spontaneous. Spontaneous spontaneous, and flow. (laughs) A spontaneous expression of our natural energies, who we are as individuals. But the alchemy is that it always revolves and comes back to this collective piece. So I'm curious to see how this this conversation goes
0: today. (laughs) I'm curious too, because you and I do a lot of planning, which means we do a lot of communicating back and forth throughout our entire week, not just in times that we're like, oh, this is when we're working, but sharing ideas, uh, stream of consciousness, spontaneous ideas, downloads that we have. And it's so interesting. I'm excited about this conversation. Because there are so many times that we will start to communicate about what we want to do and we are totally in sync. It's, you know, we'll start talking. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's where I was this morning. And we'll <laughs> get into this conversation that flows so easily and naturally because we're coming in with the same ideas or we're coming from the same point. But I'm excited because. I don't think either one of us really have a overarching view of where the other is coming from today. So this will be (laughs) spontaneous and fun. And I can't wait because you gave me a few teasers about what you're about to talk about. So um, I'm excited to hear because you're telling me. So a little teaser in our pre-conversation, Sherry said, uh, you know, I have this way I'm coming in and you already know it. And I can't wait to find out what I know that I didn't know I know. All right, so I don't want to derail
1: you immediately because I know that we will find our way, our doorways in. But this morning, as I was looking at some reels in my, you know, morning ritual—not sadna, the other rituals—I'm scrolling, and when I see Neil deGrasse Tyson, I have to stop. I just, you know, he is one of those. There are certain shows when they're on, I have to watch, even if it's in the middle or even if I've seen them a thousand times. And Neil deGrasse Tyson is one of those voices that, when he is speaking, I must hear what he is saying. And what he said this morning blew my fucking mind, and it is so simple and so obvious in so many ways, but it supports our mission in all the things we do, connecting the individual to the collective and, you know, the stories and all of that. Well, he said, and I'm going to read it from my thing, he says, the four most common chemically active elements in the universe are hydrogen, oxygen, carbon, and nitrogen, and they are the four most common elements of life on earth. So what he said this morning was, if you think about it, you know, the most common atoms, I think he used, but I don't know, atoms, molecules, elements, whatever they are, are, you know, hydrogen, oxygen, carbon, and nitrogen. And he said, but they're also what we are made of. They're the four most important things we are made of. So for us to think that we are anything separate from the universe, and then it goes back to Rumi's quote, which you are not a drop in the ocean, you're the ocean in a drop. You know, that these bodies are just containers of ocean water, of ocean consciousness. So this is not to derail, but just to say, like, even our cycles, our seasons, they have, they contain the universe. Everything is the universe. So anything that you were going to start with or you're going to say is going to fit in because it's all made of the same stuff. (laughs) Now
0: you're blowing my mind. I need to go watch is real. Yes, we talk so much about not being separate, being connected. And yesterday I had a conversation with a friend, and there was a jump-off point. But where we got to was, if you're sick, I'm sick. If you're not doing well, I'm not doing well. It is that connection that the universe is in us. We are the universe. There's so many different ways to say we are connected. We're connected to the universe, the natural world. These these things: hydrogen, carbon, nitrogen that exist both within us and out. And the only way that they are possibly not connected is because we have skin, right? But our skin is permeable. It's designed to let things in and let things out. So how real, how, how strong is that boundary and how much communication goes with like, what's coming out in my sweat that I'm letting out into the universe and when i've got that hot sun or i'm walking in the rain and that water is there like how much permeability in the smallest minute particle is there between what's contained inside and what's contained outside and i know that sounds like a like a a real stream of consciousness where people are like oh they're really talking this existential type of conversation today but it is so there's so much integration where are the lines of separation?
1: And are inside and outside just an illusion? You know, if the the roomy thing about taking the the cup and dipping it in the ocean, it's still ocean water. It's just in this cup. It's not separate from the cup. The cup just is holding it. But is there, is inside outside a thing that we, a device we use to separate as, because our minds need to make sense of things. I don't know, but what, what in terms of this conversation and in cycles, It comes to balance. Like, how do we balance? You were saying earlier that, you know, as yin as you are, you have this, this morning you were like, you know, rushing around and getting some yang shit done, you know, with that yang energy. We can't only be yin or only be yang. We have to find that balance, honoring the essential person we are. Maybe, you know, you are essentially more yin, I'm essentially more yang, but we get to also live into those moments of of opposition or seeming opposition. And so, you know, we're in this winter season that we just did this walk that was time to go in, in time, time to go in, we're hibernating, we're getting, you know, a little bit slower, a little bit quieter, that we get to respond to the energy of the season, the energy of the time. And that is so much, you know, if we think about it in terms of we are the universe, that any little change that we make within ourselves has an impact. In the bigger world, the change isn't just inside. It's not selfish. If I'm changing, if I'm changing my attitude about something. So for example, I've said before that when I used to do those Ayurvedic tests, I never got any pitta, the fire, because I was, you know, they're all subjective questions and I see myself a certain way, you know, chill hippie chick on the couch eating bonbons and whatever. But no, until I changed my mindset and honored and accepted the fire within me, all of a sudden things changed. My whole world mm. changed and my perception of the world changed, which meant that the world outside me changed and the way I interacted with it. So just circling back to this winter time, like how we interact with our our sort of collective yin energy. So for those who don't know a lot about yin, Teresa, <laughs>
0: you're the yin spurt. The yin spurt. I like that. That's <laughs> a brand new word that we have here. So, yes, we're in this cycle of yin, and I think the best way to talk about yin and yang is that it is cycles. We did rhythm and rhyme in the autumn, which was about changing from the cycle of summer into the cycle of autumn. Then we began our wander in wonder, which was the cycle from autumn to winter weather, so really honoring the cycles with different things that we do. But Cycles are not limited to seasons. Yin and yang happen every day. Midnight is the highest part of yin energy. 12 noon is the most yang-inspired time of the day, and the two balance each other out. And I think when we, we can't have a conversation about yin or yang without the recognition that They co balance each other and that they're cycles that flow into each other so that we can remain balanced. But for yin, we're thinking more in terms of dark, cool, dense, restful, quiet. The feminine energy is very yin inspired. Maybe it's moving a little slow. I tend to, as you said, have this more yin type personality, but. That doesn't separate all of the yang things I need to do. Today is a busy day. I'm going to be traveling. We're recording. We have a class today. I have clients. I mean, just the flow of the day is going to be yang. And what I find that is helpful to me is to lean into my yin energy at times when I feel extremely busy. And that might be as simple as running around folding my laundry, changing my laundry, getting the next thing done to just tap into my breath for a minute and just like, okay, so there needs to be the calming energy that happens that allows me to get, all, for me personally, to get all of those jobs done without feeling frenetic or angry or overwhelmed because they can be when you're in a very heavily young state be overwhelming. And since I did define yin, let me just balance that out and then I'll send it back to you. Where yang might be back in the studio, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yang, we can think of in terms of bright and warm, loud, div, male, getting things done. And the other thing that I missed when I was talking about yin, I found something, and this is something new for me to learn. So I want to dive deeper into it as well, but that um, in my reading this morning, someone described yin as descending energy and yang as ascending energy. And I found that fascinating because, again, in a lot of the ways that I teach, especially from a fascial perspective, I talk about the meridians, the front of the body ascends, the back of the body descends. So it kind of triggered my thoughts. Does that mean... If the front of the body ascends, that's that I can also bring yang to the front body and yin to the back body. So that's just a query, not an answer, just something that came up while I was reading. And maybe an
1: observation because do we bring the energy in or is the energy there and we harness it? Is it all, or does it pre exist the experience and then we get to notice it and then either you know, support it and lift it up? Or do we tamp it down and ignore it? Or mm. how do we manage all those energies? You were talking about midnight and noon, which I don't know. I had a sensation in my body when you were talking about that because I'm a cancer moon, I think, or sun, cancer, sun, Scorpio, moon, and and rising. So I'm all water and really kind of deep churning waters. I was always, midnight has always been my, my favorite time. That has been, I think, because I worked at a nightclub and I always did sort of nightish things that I was up late. So midnight was kind of my my pit stop for the day <laughs> Just, or whatever, that that pause, that that place, magical. And noon always, at, at some point, it was when I was waking up and, and it sort of implied a daytime energy, which I didn't respond to as well as nighttime energy. Um, but that may have been the whole pitta thing too. Like there's so much to look back on and be curious about. But then I started thinking about, like, I'm an extrovert. I've always been an extrovert. But during quarantine, I really tapped in to that introverted part of myself, that yin part of myself that really loves going in, (laughs) going in and being quiet and not being surrounded by the noise or the energy of. And then, you know, for years, I hated cats. I don't know why. It may have just been a construct that I had sort of, you know, dove into when I was younger. And then I got a cat through a roommate and, oh my God, fell in love. So now please don't make me choose between cats and dogs. I never thought I'd leave New York City. I'm living in, you know, a country feeling suburb right now. And I love it. I love being five minutes from farmland. I love being out in nature. Now you have tapped into the, I think the pre-existing nature girl who had never really expressed herself. So now I just, I look forward to it so much, but don't make me choose city or country. You know, we we have these dualities that we're always trying to choose. Who am I in this world? Um, but maybe they are just balancing energies that we get to live into both. Maybe it's just a false narrative that we have to be one or the other. And we started this whole fucking thing with non-binary. Like we are, that's only for computer code. Like we don't have to choose a one or a zero. We get to be exactly who we are. And in some of the things that I've been reading about, sort of affecting change from our own self. And I know everyone's going to the, you know, be the change quote from Gandhi, which I will come back to because it's not exactly his quote. We tend to put them out there and then believe it. <laughs> and this was mm-hmm. even before the internet. Oh, so I just, yeah, went off the rails. Where was I? I'm just going to, I'm going to go back. You are going to give us a quote from Gandhi. Uh, uh, did you have I the whole, was, the change? I do. I have it here, but yeah. I was going to circle back to that. Whatever. Okay. So this is the alchemy. I'm going to keep going. So Gandhi actually said, we but mirror the world. All the tendencies present in the outer world are to be found in the world of our body. If we could change ourselves, the tendencies in the world would also change. As the man changes his own nature, so does the attitude of the world change towards him. This is the divine mystery supreme, a wonderful thing it is, and the source of our happiness. We need not wait to see what others do. So, from all of that, someone condensed it down and said, "Be the change you want to see in the world," which is a great synopsis of that. But it lacks some of the more nuanced pieces that you know give us the or give me, I should say, the the juice to get
0: going. Yeah, I had never heard that before. I had so. neither. Yeah, I'm really great and grateful that you found something a little bit more expansive and. Brings up so many great points as far as yin and yang being just co balancing energy and cycles. And cycles are normal in the universe. They're normal in us, whether it, you know, we can even look and distill that cycle down to a breath, right? There's a beginning, a middle, and an end. We have an active and passive phase of breathing. When we inhale, it's more. Young, more sympathetic nervous system it's active it's a you know if you'll notice you know we breathe faster when we're doing activities we have a lot more energy a lot more notice of bringing in more inhales and maybe breathing a little quicker like I feel like I'm doing right now where I have to stop and like take that that inhale the inhale is a bit more passive and it's more yin-like uh connected more to the parasympathetic nervous system the inhale
1: or the exhale
0: the exhale sorry the exhale right. is yin, yes. yeah yes but we flow through cycles all the time without really giving them a lot well i do i say you know all of us flow through cycles but i don't always think about hey this minute is a cycle my entire day has a rhythm and a rhyme <laughs> no no pun intended. All puns a, intended. All, all puns the time. intended. All the time. A, a rhythm and a rhyme to it. The seasons come and go. The clock goes round and round. Well, for those of us who know how to read a clock that goes round and round. <laughs> you know, the sun dial went round ra- you know, well, the sun went around the dial, so it wasn't even the dial moving then. But anyway. <laughs> we digress. <laughs> we do, which is, you know, so in us. But the cycles remind us of something that has been historically a little bit challenging for me, and that is to live in the mystery, to give up control, to be okay with not knowing what's going to happen next, to not have to plan out every little thing, but to learn, going back to the beginning, to be more spontaneous and just embrace what shows up. That's that's a challenge or has historically been a challenge for me to just be like, going to happen tomorrow. You had shared a story that you would go out with your daughter when we were doing some scouting the other day and you'd say, okay, it's up to you. Which way do you want to turn? And when I would go on trips in the, in the RV, it would be the same thing. Do you want to turn left or you want to turn right? And so to just embrace that idea that getting lost can like really show us the best parts of a trip were completely unplanned, but living in the mystery and just allowing the flow and the rhythm to kind of wash over us and flow with it at times. And I'm a big planner and I like everything more. I mean, I'm going on a short trip and my bed is filled with like way too many clothes. I'm <laughs> planning. What am I gonna wear? And I'm not the person who's like, oh, I need two shirts and 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 they throw in <laughs> I've got outfits lined up. I've <laughs>
1: I have a last minute, just throw in the bag and go. But you know, the other great thing about cycles, if we we look into just feeling this idea of cycles, that everything has a cycle. Now, on the one hand, imagine your life if every minute you were recognizing the cycles, that would be like hearing everyone's voices in the world. I can imagine one's head and heart might explode. So, it's not about living all the time, you know, sort of holding on to this. Everything is about sort of open hands and open heart and just going with the flow. So, this is just information. But cycles remind us of impermanence that, you know, even the good stuff is impermanent, even the bad stuff is impermanent. Whatever's happening, it's going to cycle through and it's going to come back around at some point. Now, the different arcs in the cycles are different lengths, different time periods, different expressions of energy. But they're all impermanent. There's a beginning, middle, end, and then pause around everything. And in in the yoga philosophy, in, in Hinduism anyway, in the sort of trimurti of the Hindu deities, we've got Brahma, um, Vishnu, and Shiva, and they represent the creation energy, the preservation energy, and the destruction energy. And they all sort of arrive in the the Om which is four parts, ah, mm, and then the space before we start. So there's this, and that's also the picture of Brahma. I'm not getting into all of that. But all of that is to say that in every breath, like as Teresa suggested, in every moment, there's an opportunity to remember, to remember, and even to witness, where am I now in a cycle of suffering that might be in my life right now? And to recognize it, to learn from it, to whatever we can from it, And to know that it will also kind of come to its own conclusion and move into something else. Now, that's not to say if you have, you know, I'm not here to say if you have an incurable disease that all of a sudden it's going to go away. You know, curing and healing have different energies. And so I'm not a doctor. I'm not here to be prescriptive, but there is healing that can always happen, even in the
0: absence of something curative. So yin and yang balance each other, and yin is cool. Imagine not taking time for yin in your life, not resting, not slowing down, not embracing those qualities of cool. So I'm just going to use cool as I don't embrace the slowing down. I don't embrace the cool of yin, which is what winter has. Then what happens to the yang energy? There's a lot of fire in yang. And if we are missing the cooling agent or the coolant quality, How does that show up in the body? Can it show up as physical symptoms? Like when I think of physical symptoms of too much fire, maybe it's irritability. You know, there's not enough yin, there's not enough downtime, there's not enough cooling and quiet and nurturing and nourishing and being close to the earth. Maybe like if I'm really fiery, my eyes get sore and dried out. Like, does my body communicate with me that says, hey, Teresa? you're not, you're moving too much and not slowing down. Like whenever I get a sore throat, I think of it as like, oh, my throat is on fire. Mm -hmm. Is that because I haven't given myself the opportunity to rest and calm? Yes, there's germs out there. I'm not, but am I more susceptible to that germ if I don't have this balanced cycle of my day fluctuating between my daytime hours where I'm getting things done and moving and being very young, and then my nighttime hours where I settle in and rest and recharge. So how, does, how do those imbalances appear in our body? And can we use them as cues to um, add more or less of the opposite? Inflammation. What do we do when we get hit by
1: a ball? We put ice on it. Yes. No, we, the inflammation immediately later, you might put heat on it, but to immediately reduce the inflammation, we put something cooling on there. You know, I was uh, teachers of mine years ago. They used to say, we were talking about karma and getting into the philosophies. And they would say, you know, if you're feeling like you don't have enough money, give to charity. If you're Mm -hmm. feeling lonesome, go sit with someone who's in a hospital who doesn't have someone to sit with them. Who's also lonely do the thing. This isn't, so we can come into balance in many different ways. We can do the opposite thing, which we've talked about before, you know, when I would get my body work, if I was feeling heavy, sometimes she would do a heavy, deep, you know, work. And sometimes she would balance by doing something light. So, but this was finding balance in doing the thing that you felt you were suffering with. So if you're feeling you know, like I said, lonely, go be with someone, go, go do the thing that you wish you had more of in yourself. So if you want more money, give money. (laughs) Mm. I know it sounds counterintuitive. You don't have to give all your money, but you know, if you start saying I have enough, if I give a dollar to this place, that is at least an, an energetic transaction that may find its way back. And it may not, there's no expectation. So what did we talk about the other day? We said anticipation without expectation. So there's this feeling of energy when you're anticipating something that can feel like exciting. It can feel nervous. It can, the thing that reminds you that you're alive. You know, I used to go, I used to act. So being on stage, I always had stage fright, but that stage fright reminded me that I was alive and it would dissipate after the first couple of lines and turn into a different energy. So do the thing, do the thing and don't be afraid. And with that, the expectations are the things that will necessarily give you disappointment. And, you know, if you find yourself continuously lowering your expectations, what was that Saturday Night Live, Jack Handy? Lowered expectations. It was a dating <laughs> app or a dating site where you just kept lowering your expectations.
0: <laughs> I don't know that, but that is funny. Oh, jeez. You know, the whole th- I for me, the... What I really think about when I'm looking at cycles and yin and yang is balance. It'll, it Everything always seems to lead us back to this place of living a balanced life and to really understand what our body wants, what it's asking for. And when I say body, I mean all the koshas, season one, body, mind, spirit, breath. We need balance in order to navigate through our lifestyle. And yin in my experience as a body worker and a yoga teacher for a long time with individuals that I worked with was undervalued for them. So when I first had my massage uh, spa, it was in a fitness center. And so many people were so great. at. I mean, it was a busy fitness center. There were people on the machines all the time. The classes were well attended. There were a lot of folks, there was a a free weight place where there was always bodybuilders lifting weights. And I would ask people who would come in in pain, how often do you stretch? And like, I don't have time to do that. I'm here at the gym to do this other thing where there was this disconnect that it was the balance to the other thing that when we took the time to do a yin practice or to slow down to add in these long-held stretches that you would see in a yin yoga practice, it actually enhances the yang practices that you have because it gives the body a chance to move that inflammation that you talked about earlier, to let it flow rather than become stagnant, to gain this deeper understanding of how your body feels because you're, you have time to sit with it. It's slow. It's Three to five minute holds if your body is prepared and you've been practicing long enough to get to three minutes. But what it does is it restores, rebuilds, and balances the, the soft tissue system and helps to heal so you can advance that more yang practice. And it's quite an education to be able to assist and help people to understand that slowing down is the thing that will advance the speeding up.
1: I love that. I have also had students who came in who were fitness people, but had no flexibility. They had the strength, but came to yoga in order to do that. But when you were talking about balance in the gym, I started laughing because I used to, years ago when I was in New York, I had a trainer and I would go in a couple of times a week and I would see these big guys like lifting lots of weight. They had these huge quadriceps, but their hamstrings were like flat. There was like nothing. Oh, who needs hamstrings? Oh, they're only looking from the front. And Thinking out of balance, like what? What does the hamstring do? That the quad, like what is the relationship? And you don't, you don't have to if you don't want to get into it now. But the relationship between the quadriceps and the hamstrings, and why would it be important to give equal attention to the hamstrings as it would be to the quads?
0: So uh, that's a really I know, great. I'm, I'm throwing no, this
1: a... at you out of left field, so don't feel yeah.
0: Uh, no, this is a question I get a lot, so I'm I'm comfortable with uh, a <laughs> off the cuff question. So they're agonist antagonist to each other. They co-balance in the same way that yin and yang do. The quadriceps are hip flexors and also the major quadriceps is also a knee extender. So quadriceps flex the hip and they also work on knee extension. Hamstrings extend the hip and flex the knee. So it bends the knee to the back, right? So they they work in conjunction with each other. If I am working my quadriceps, so I'm doing quadricep, quadricep muscles, the hamstring has to lengthen in order for the quadricep to contract and give it the space. When we work to an imbalance and the quadriceps get bigger and stronger and shorter, because as we're building that muscle, they get shorter. When we want to use the hamstring, the quadricep doesn't always have enough length. So a muscle can only contract to the point that it's antagonist. So the hamstring can only contract to the amount of length the quadricep will give it. So if the quadricep is short and tight, it is going to limit the opposite movement in the leg. I hope that was clear.
1: That was... if i can understand it anyone can understand it and that's why i fucking love you and we need to you know talk about the sciencey stuff later about how we're going to you know um honor that a little bit more because i think that when we I, I it's so easy for me to to dive into the more ethereal esoteric stuff and to just have fun playing in those murky waters but when there's an anchor of something scientific that i can understand it gives more credence to the the woe it gives more credence to everything else because there's a, a sense of ground you know this is the the real tangible thing that I can look to to understand the less tangible real stuff that I can't see so I'm so grateful that you're in my ear and in my oh, heart
0: thank you you know the hamstrings and the quadriceps all attach to the pelvis and so many people have Different things that are going on with the pelvis. So, their imbalance moves beyond just the simplicity of do I have hip flexion and hip extension? They also seriously impact the position of the pelvis. Is it anteriorly rotated? Is it posteriorly rotated? Are they torque? In addition to many other things, but they are key players. And being a yoga teacher and a body worker, oftentimes, and people say this all the time, it is rare, really rare. For me to hear somebody say, oh, my quadriceps are tight, but people say my hamstrings are tight all the time. And they most like, say the thing, are they tight, tight, long or tight, short, right? So you blew my
1: mind with that, by the way.
0: (laughs) Yeah. If they're tight, short, I mean, tight, long, because the quadriceps are overdeveloped and moving the pelvis into an anterior rotation. Yes, your hamstrings are tight. But they're tight long. So the more we try and stretch them and say, oh, I can touch my toes, the more they're gonna resist because they're already at their longest length. We might be, might, because there's many factors, mm-hmm. be able to touch our toes if that's your goal, which is not the goal of yoga, but if that is a goal to be, have that flexibility, it may be much more attainable by finding ways to soften and lengthen the quadriceps and balance the pelvis into a more neutral position because often if they're tight and short they pull the pelvis forward and so sometimes the solution is not the hamstrings it's the quadriceps and if we can so for those bodybuilders that you referenced earlier that are looking at the anterior part of their body that they can see and not so much the posterior like i i don't want to pass any judgments to people i don't know but sometimes we can exer- exercise ourselves into dysfunction by not having the yin and the yang, the balance, balance. right? agonist antagonists, they play together. Therefore, they have to work together in our routines if we want to maintain a balanced, equally strong, equally long body. So we want a balance of flexibility and strength in the agonist antagonist relationships so that they play nicely together and we can find ways of being pain-free and that's that's the asana part of yoga is
1: finding that strength and flexibility in the body and then the pranayama helps with the breath and you know, meditate it's all it's all the juice that makes it tasty and mm. yummy and flowy
0: yeah and i'll just I, i'm gonna say one thing because it yeah. is a little bit of a pet peeve for me and so not to be like kind of judgmental on any practice because I'm going to talk about a sun salutation and I love the sun salutation. So I don't want it to come off wrong because it is a really great way to move all parts of the body and to find that flow and that rhythm and really connect the breath with movement. It's got a ton of very amazing, positive things that I love. And it also has a lot more forward folds then it has back bends, So it's a little bit imbalanced in the way that I see it, which really leaves this amazing opportunity because for the teachers, because it is the sun salutation and what we add into it is an amazing opportunity to come to peak poses and balancing. And when we start to notice, wow, look, I've got a lot of forward folds in here. My peak poses might be camel or... You know, extension poses, heart openings, bridge pose, different ways to counterbalance the forward progression of a sun salutation and equalize it by blending in some of those extension backbend type poses. I
1: I think the half sun salutations for me, which I'm doing a lot more, definitely that's true, except when I come up halfway on that inhale after the fold, I, I see that as a heart opener because I'm, my pelvis is, if I'm doing this right, anteriorly um, going, moving, and I'm opening my heart as I'm coming forward, and then I'm refolding in, and then coming back up and doing a backbend. But then when I come back down, or if I'm doing chaturanga, I'm going into either cobra sphinx or up dog, which is a backbend, which I get to hold. So I feel like there are three op- a potential heart openers in the full sun salutation with the one forward fold and then down again. And down dog, if you're considering that somewhat of a forward fold, I'm not sure. But I find it very well balanced with the back, mm. with the forward folds and the back bends. Um, and I'm doing them a lot. And I'm just bringing in my chaturangas again and down dogs. I'll only do one though in the morning just to kind of see where I am to assess how my shoulders feel, how my elbows feel, how my wrists feel, how my core feels. You know, it's different from when I was practicing in a public class where I was just kind of moving with the class and going with the flow and, you know, allowing the external experience of, of the direction to, to guide me. Now I'm guiding myself. So it's much more of an exploration, like rather than just moving through it, I get to hold it and say, oh, if I'm holding with my finger pads on the ground, and I can move a little bit up and out of my wrists, I feel less in my wrists. If I draw my shoulders back, but breathe into, I know that we had a a thing about this, but breathe into the center between my, my shoulder blades, I feel more stability, but I can still draw my heart forward. And so there's all these little subtle things that I'm working with that I never did before, but I'm also not doing, you know, 30 sun salutations in between poses, linking breath with movement, without having to do that. Linking breath with movement is not connected necessarily to a vinyasa. Vinyasa (laughs) just became kind of synonymous with linking breath with movement. But I link breath with movement when I'm standing in Tadasana and I can feel with the inhale, my chest lift and I'm exhaling. I'm keeping that lift as I exhale and draw my navel in. I'm still, there's that subtle movement that I get to do. And then as I inhale and take my arms up, I'm linking my breath with movement, even if I just draw my hands to the center of my heart and do nothing else. So vinyasa, you know, sort of became that that, that that sequence of, you know, up plank, down plank, up dog, down dog kind of thing. But it's really so much more than that. And if we're in an acute situation, as you suggested before, like getting the, the yang energy going, but resting into the yin, there's an awareness there that might also be a vinyasa that is connecting your breath with the movement and energy of the action that you're taking in that moment, that if you never practiced yoga before, you may not have that language, those definitions that would separate you a little bit more from that experience, but you're still, doesn't mean you're not doing it, you know, just because we're not calling it vinyasa doesn't mean you're not doing the thing we call vinyasa. Mm. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. But, you know, as I've gotten older and taught as an older person, those forward folds became more problematic because more of the population that was coming to my class had osteoporosis or osteopenia. And I'm not I'm not well versed enough to know at where you are in your osteopenia if weight bearing in those certain areas will actually help to build some of that bone back, because I've learned that weight bearing after acute pain has dissipated is actually accelerates healing and so if you're in that liminal space between osteopenia and osteoporosis like what does that mean but if you're in osteoporosis please don't forward fold please don't you know risk getting those little hairline fractures in your vertebrae like those are the things I don't know is that lore or am I making that up or is that a thing
0: no that's a thing yes no no you ha- I don't think I'm not an expert in osteoporosis but yes an upright spine you know I can go into a lot of this, but we tend to be more forwardly flexed as a, as a collective. More forwardly flexed. Yeah, if you're not watching us on YouTube, you can see that Cherry has her phone in her hand and she's looking down and texting. <laughs> but we tend to have a lot more of what we do in this forward flexion. And, and it is not bad nor good to be in forward flexion for all of the different things that we have to do in our life but we definitely want the counterbalance. And if we, if I, who is a kind of a body worker and I do body reading and I watch people and ever since I went to massage school, it's kind of hard not to notice posture and patterns. Uh, but as a general society, we tend to be more forwardly flexed than we are more in extension, like a more military type of very uprightness in our posture. And yes, putting that weight bearing on bone in certain circumstances is going to increase bone. That's how children's braces work. They put pressure on the bone, they move the teeth through it, and then they let it settle so that the bone can grow back. Isn't that also the... how, how bunions are? If your yeah. shoes are too tight on your big toe, I and you don't. keep
1: walking and rubbing. Isn't that how a bunion looks? Sure. I'm not sure. I'm getting way out of my
0: wheelhouse and purview here, but let's I'm sorry, let's keep going. It's okay. So we want to have a certain amount of compressive force on our bones because it's good for them, uh, but not when they don't have the break. So, the more we become forwardly flexed, to answer your question more specifically, the more that we have this habitual compressive force on the anterior bod- bodies of our vertebral column, as we age and start to have that natural p- process of losing bone density, we are more likely, I would say, and I'm not a doctor, so I'm not prescriptive either, but I hear more instances where people have some of those little uh, micro fractures or big vertebral bursts and fractures for people who have osteoporosis because of this migration forward that we see. So the practices of yoga, these, these movements and really understanding our proprioception, where we are in space, what our posture really looks like. Like mountain pose is our walking around pose. It's upright posture, upright spine. And so when you said don't forward, don't do the forward folds with osteoporosis, I'm going to build on that a little bit. There are reasons why we will roll down our spine and compress on those vertebra. There's a reason to do that. and You see that a lot in yin. Compression adds bone, which is what we just talked about, but there's also the other side that when we're doing these forward folds in a vinyasa class, they're not about collapsing into the spine. They're about hinging at the hips and coming in and honoring the integrity of the spinal curves while we're doing those movements, so that we get the most benefit possible from the time that we spend on the mat. Beautiful.
1: And how does this bring us back to cycles and spirals? The spirals, yes. we didn't get into spirals. So you love spirals. Yes. It's spiral. So, That's with spiral. all of this, we, we got back into the body. We started talking about the, the quads and the hamstrings and then hips and forward folding and vinyasas and all of that. So, we're going to sort of come back around full circle as to like why we're even talking about all of this. And yes, it's important as you're doing certain activities to understand it and to be curious and to you know evolve within whichever system you're, you're playing. So now that we've sort of ticked off all those little boxes, we get to see how even the smallest change that we make it 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 is reflected in the bigger world. I don't know if you've ever seen the the bumper sticker "Think globally, act locally." But I'm gonna just sort of bring it back. There was a guy I didn't I didn't get his name, but it's from a website called Hacker Noon. I'm gonna put it in the show notes dot com, and he says four ways that if you want to change the world, the things that you can do. And I I didn't go into all of his descriptions or her descriptions, whoever wrote the thing, because it started as I was reading it. It was their, their feelings about these, these ideas. And of course they, they wrote it, but I had different feelings about them. So, but I liked the overarching ideas. So the one, stop comparing yourself to others is a way to, I'm sorry, we're going to get back to spirals. Yeah, but no. stop comparing yourself to others. No compare and despair, especially in the world of social media. Time to sort of move away from that. Second one was be as authentic and genuine as possible. The fuck does that mean? You show up in the world, you do the best you can, for me, I think it's about being in alignment, being in alignment with your body, your speech, your mind, the things that matter to you and doing your best to to live from that place. Generosity and empathy go a long way. So how can we be generous? And this sort of goes back to if we're feeling depleted, how can we be generous? Well, when we're feeling depleted is when we should absolutely mostly be generous. But then empathy, how can we, you know, empathy isn't something I think we can teach. We can teach Enough so that if people are going to, to step into the empathet- empathetic nervous system, which is something I just made up, which may be part of the parasympathetic, that we get, to, we get to teach things that allow us to be more compassionate that we can. But it's hard to teach someone to feel what it's like to be in someone else's shoes. But mm-hmm. if we have the, the intention to do that, that might be enough. And all of this is about being enough. Fourth thing was improve and change what is closest to you. So Mm -hmm. think globally, act locally, even if it's, you know, if you find yourself like this, I've started my morning practice by taking three deep breaths because I found that I was waking up in an already agitated state, you know, and then I would do my practice and that would bring me down. But rather than get up out of bed, feeling like my breath was ready to, you know, let's get ready to rumble, you know, no, let's get ready to, to live in this moment and be in the, in the mystery. And so, you know, how can you affect the change closest to you to affect a bigger change? And even reading this, I had the feeling of the energy of a spiral because all of these things can either ascend or descend and or pause in different places. And so, you know, there's always movement energy.
0: I love spirals. I have so many, so many, ju- so much jewelry like that has spirals on it. Spirals are an old old symbol like they've existed forever you'll see them carved into cave walls if you go out and start to look at all of these different cave drawings and stuff so they've been around for a long long time in communication so I'm I'm going to kind of quantify that as you know as a communication of this spiral but one of the things that really intrigues me about spirals uh, is that they spiral in and they spiral out. And I always think of a spiral when um if like if I'm going to meditate or come to a yin practice that I spiral deeper into myself and you said you can pause along different places. And so, yes, maybe even as a metaphor each one of the postures that I will do in my yin practice is a pause in the spiral that's bringing me deeper and deeper into my own experience, deeper into feeling myself, into being in a place of self-observation. So I can spiral deeper and deeper into my own experience and my thoughts and my energy. But once I'm in there and I sit with it, in order to end my practice and go about my day, I also have to gently spiral back out and come back into this present moment and in reference to cycles that spiraling happens within each of those poses we come in we come out right so we go in we pause we sit with it we experience that place then we spiral back out but if we're doing a full practice we're going to spiral into the next pose so Even when we're talking about spirals, it's not one spiral. It's a a series of spirals that lead to the, the overarching view of the class. So I would think of, you know, if a yin class has seven poses in it, it's seven individual spirals within a big spiral for me to start to really get deep into my thoughts, my emotions, and to create the space. It's the thing that I love about yin is the practice is to help me to be able to sit with both comfort and discomfort, not pain. We're not encouraging pain in the practice, but sometimes discomfort, and I'm not even just limiting that to discomfort in my body. Ooh, my hip is a little stiff here. But sometimes when we're spiraling in through the body into the emotional juice of what's going on inside, the discomfort might be an emotion that arises. I was speaking with somebody yesterday who said, Every time I practice yin, I cry because I get so close to my emotions. So, not only is it a practice of creating space in the physical body and the fascial body and the joints, but it creates space in our thoughts and our emotions and provides us the opportunity to sit with it no matter what it is. It can be the most joyous favorite pose that makes me so happy to be there, like butterfly pose and shoelace, two of my favorites. Or it can be the most challenging pose, like camel pose, where all I'm thinking when I get there is like, I can't wait to get out of this pose, (laughs) right? Because it brings up things. So the spirals are just a great way of recognizing that wherever we go, we go in deep or we go in shallow, but there's also the exit to
1: come back out. And that feels like the perfect place to end this conversation, the exit. You gave us, you gave us a, an, an egress, a place to, you know, to leave. Um, but that was so beautiful. I think you encapsulated the spirit and, you know, all the disparate threads that we drew together during this conversation so beautifully in that and what you just said. So that's the end of the conversation. But I do want to say a little something because this was really funny. So my family, we ordered Jule's Thin Crust the other night and I, two of my daughters went to pick it up, but I ordered it on and I had to call because fucking Mercury is in retrograde and my credit card wasn't working and it was twice as much online and nothing was going through. So I called to make the, the order. And as I'm talking, you know, my young energy totally got in the way and I was like, oh man, fucking Mercury in retrograde, just like what I said. And I said, you know, we've had all these tech problems on our podcast and Mercury, so my girls go to pick it up. And they see that the two women at the counter are kind of talking. But my oldest daughter said she had this feeling that they were talking about me when she said, I'm here to pick up for Sherry. And they were like, does she have a podcast? And she's, my daughter said, yeah. And she's like, uh, what's it called? And she says, anecdotal anatomy. And she asks a couple of times, she's like, because she was talking about mercury and retrograde. And I was really into that. And and that was really cool. And so if you're listening to this, people who work at Jules. And I'm not going to give the town because you'll know you're the only ones who work at Jules who have gotten this order. I heard you, and please email us and let us know what you'd like to hear more about because this podcast is not about Mercury and retrograde, but we do talk a lot about a lot of things that fall into the energetic systems. So if you were like the Jules employees and want more of certain things, let us know because this is what we do, and we love talking oh about okay. about stuff, so let us know and. Until
0: until next time. <laughs> I never know what's it's going to look like until next time. It's hard for us to say goodbye. We like talking to you so much. We've been working. We're on episode 58, and we still haven't figured out our goodbye. So until next time. <laughs> Later, I- baby. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening, for reading, reviewing, and subscribing to our channels and other stuff. Thank you for inspiring us to have these conversations and to create contemplative, live experiences that move our bodies, hearts, and minds to the rhythm of our highest selves. Thank you for showing up.
1: Feel free to send us your stories, questions, and comments to anecdotalanatomy at gmail.com. As always, we want to thank our amazing editor Judith George, Keith Kenny for our fun music, and Cindy Fatsis for our photos journey with us as we continue down the roads of discovery taking the detours and meeting the mysteries you are our why see you next time